Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. podcast my name is Stuart Wright and today's guest is Vaughan Savell welcome to the show thanks Stuart and thank you for soldiering on uh <laughs> having got the great lurgy of our times uh prior to us <laughs> yeah, well, I think I have I don't know that I have okay I think okay. it's probably likely I haven't seen anyone for a long time at a premiere on Thursday it's not surprising that having hugged and kissed everyone for two hours <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to get it. There you go. Right. Finally. Well, that's a good segue for me. The premiere. The premiere was for your two-part documentary Gaza, which is uh, which by the time this goes live will have aired on BBC and be available yeah. on iPlayer for everyone to watch at their leisure. Um, well, do you want to start by just letting start by telling us how did the how did the premiere go? What was it, what was it like to finally see see your film with people? Right, it's good. I mean, it's um, it's an interesting one because it's. Um, um, simultaneously, more or less simultaneously, a two-part of two one-hours for the BBC, and it's also cut as a two-hour feature, um, okay. which will be released on DVD in May. From so, we were seeing the um, we were seeing it on the, the big screen and seeing it on a screen that size in the Hamyard Hotel, um, which we hosted with Kaleidoscope Distribution, um, was incredible, and it's it's a, it's a wholly archive film uh, mm. there's no talking anything like that so of course we take in the archive uh, and work on it for years in an as offline archive so it's like the lowest version of the archive you can you can see and then obviously in post as we bring in the the real online archive it gets better and better and better and the grade from brilliant grade from Molinaire um, uh, makes it better but then the whole other, other level is the music by Blank Mass, the sound mix, that footage of some of those iconic footballing moments and weirdness of life in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, British life in the 90s on a screen that size was quite remarkable. Um, sadly, Paul didn't make it to the, to the screening, but all his family were there. It was very sort of moving uh, experience all in all, really. It was, a, so it was a big success. I'm very, very happy. Well, look, congratulations. And I think for our, for our, UK listeners, Gaza is a ubiquitous word to mean Paul Gascoigne. But, but I guess for our overseas listeners that might have tuned in for this podcast, Gaza won't be such a readable, a readable, recognizable word to or of the same meaning. So, 
Do you want to just give a brief synopsis to what Gaza is as a documentary? Sure. And it's quite interesting in terms of making, you know, I know your 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 podcast is about filmmakers and filmmaking. And it's quite mm. interesting um, reason that it's called Gaza. Um, <clears throat> so Gaza um, is the ubiquitous nickname of Paul Gascoigne, who uh, was a footballer from Newcastle, from a place called Dunstan, Newcastle, who basically uh, took the footballing world by storm and became probably the one of the most famous people, not just most famous footballers, but one of the most famous people in the UK throughout uh, all of the 90s, to the extent that today you only have to say Gaza and pretty much everyone in the street of a certain age will definitely know who he is. He was at that time um, the highest paid and um, most people would recognise that for a certain period he was the greatest footballer in the world. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the, so his name obviously is Paul Gascoigne, but um, the film is about that period, the the decade of that sort of super fame and the, the height of his career where uh, Gaza, you couldn't turn on the radio, you couldn't look at a newspaper, you get his pre-internet, but you, you couldn't look at any form of media without seeing the word Gaza and Gaza mania was a, was a mm. thing. And yeah, he was just uh, probably next to Princess Diana. He was the biggest uh, name in, in the UK. Um, and we wanted to make this film. It was a, a brilliant idea from uh, the director, Sam Collins, um, who came to us with it to make this film that was not Paul Gascoigne. It was about that period. It was about the media's and all of our... Um, uh, uh, experience of his life at that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but telling the truth about what was lying behind that, you know, because it was uh, a time that became synonymous with phone hacking and the the tabloid press just going too far in their um, hunt for stories, yeah. which has been very well documented and um, has been through the courts and everything ever since. So, so you always were, were intending to tell to tell that twin track story because it's a. It's a very powerful one, which is, I mean, I'm a 50-year-old man and Paul's 54. So, you know, it's kind of, you, you, you kind of looked at him as like, a, like as your peer, but with absolute envy at the same time when he was coming yeah. through. And, you know, 1990s, yeah, it was, he cries. It, it was, he cries yeah. at the beginning of 1990. And they're, 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 they're an icon is cemented forever and a day. I mean, me and my friends use the Garrel and Nicaragua word I think throughout half of the nineties, <laughs> as as, a, as an expert, when anything was going oh, on, how silly or serious, you would tap your yeah. eye and go have a word. And yeah, that was yeah. directly from that moment in yeah. in, in the World Cup nineteen ninety. So, just to give anyone a flavour as to how you know for a certain generation, but I don't know what, what it feels like as you go down the years, like, but he was important, and so your film really conveys the the. For the bit that I'd forgotten, I guess, when, with the celebrity explosion that then overshadows it when you get the second half of the 90s, is that he was the world's best footballer. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's a wonderful clip of a, of a friendly where he's playing against Maradona and you see really how wonderful he is. He just sort of goes through them like butter. It's, uh, he, he's amazing. He was an amazing footballer. I mean, the, the other footballers describe him that way. Um, you see footage of him from his earliest um, uh, appearances at Newcastle, um, but as you know, we say with the film, it's 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 not the Paul Gascoigne story. It's really the Gaza story. It's mm. it's about what how that explosion took its toll on him. And the the key thing there, and it's what um, 
yes, to answer your question, it, it always was the um, the vision of the film. Mm. And Sam came to us with that vision. And we I watched, uh, it, he'd been working on it for a couple of years with um, Keith Haviland and, and Mark Stewart. And it had sort of um, reached a hiatus. They didn't know what to do with it. And so we watched this very, very, very long cut, um, rough cut of what it sort of could be. I remember watching it thinking it was just like watching a big true crime film. It was like a or series. Oh. And I kept having to, as I was watching it, I kept having to remind myself that Paul is alive. He's, <laughs> I'm not about to see like, this is not the murder of Paul Gascoigne, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it felt like this sort of, um, uh, this, this really exciting period true crime of, mm. of British life because there was just so much um, darkness in the way that the press operated. And why Paul is particularly um, good for the focus of that is it's is coincidence, is the, the happenstance of the universe that um, the great sort of media owners like, like Rupert Murdoch, but not solely, um, were sort of looking for a power grab and power was the people, the man on the street. There was no internet, there was no Twitter, there was no mm. Facebook. Um, and so it was, it was about tabloid newspapers and football. Mm. And so money went into football. The press was sort of grabbing that, the, trying to grab as many readers as they could in the millions, not like today, their circulations have gone down hugely, obviously. And at that time, just by coincidence, the best footballer on the planet was also this incredible character. And so for the first time, um, arguably since George Best, but nothing had been for George Best like this was, for the first time, you had this guy who was on the back page and the front page. Mm. And everything in his life um, was scrutinised. And obviously, that's where they certain members of the tabloid press went too far um, to get those stories. But the key thing, of course, is we all read them. <laughs> you know, we're all guilty of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of being part of that. Just we didn't know uh, what it was. And we didn't... We didn't you know, the, the takeout is we, we didn't think about the toll it might be taking on him and those people, um, on people like Paul. So, so yeah, it's a cautionary tale in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more media literate than I was back then. And the, the idea that, you know, you, and, and look, we still have it to this day. Oh, they're paid enough money. Why should we care about them kind of thing? It's the, it's the, yeah, price, 100%. You, it's the price you pay. And we yeah. did it for Hugh Grant and we did it for... Yeah, you know Steve Coogan. You know it was the same. You know the same tabloid hacking stories revolved around the yeah. same kind of knee-jerk response. Which obviously, when I think back to it, is fueled by the same papers that are doing it that are giving you that narrative that you know they put themselves up to be there. Hundred percent. But do you think, Stuart? I don't know what you think, but because you can't say it, what I'm about to say is not true so, to a certain extent. But you you do look at them and you think you can tell from what he's done with his life and how he lives and how he has been the um, figurehead of the anti-phone hacking movement, that Hugh Grant is a guy who can handle it. Mm. It, it may have upset him hugely. It may have ruined his life at times, yeah. but he's a guy who can handle it. And I think the, the key thing is you look at these films, uh, look at these stories, and you look at, let's forget Paul Gascoigne for a minute, who... You know, the film is about the fact that it wasn't easy for him to handle. He should have um, found some help somewhere from someone. Um, is that you look at, what, November, the World Cup comes along again. Let's hope not. But some 
19, 20-year-old kid is going to miss a penalty. Yeah. And who's there? What What's being done for them? How, you know, the, the hate they'll get um, <laughs> from idiots. Yeah, well, we've had we've had the dry run, haven't we, I suppose? I mean, in a weird way, as a, as a, as a complete comparison, given the year, given when your film's coming out after the Euros, actually, probably the kiddest of kid gloves has been the treatment of the England team during the Euros of 2021. You know, I've never yeah. seen anything like it where it was, it was a loving and a loving, and the hate fest didn't follow. There was no one to blame. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, aren't these guys good? And, you know, you could argue yeah. that's probably down to Southgate as someone who was vilified. For, 100%. For being, and and you'd faith. hope that that is the, you'd hope that that is the model for the support, mm. for the, for the you know, the, the closeting of people who are, not because, because you're right, where I, I simultaneously do have the feeling of you get paid an awful lot of money to kick a football, you know, you don't have to. <laughs> you can walk away. Mm. But they are kids. You know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got an 18-year-old. Uh, I've got two boys, but my eldest is 18. He could be on that pitch, you know, and I know he might, to the outside world then, he's a man playing football. To me, they're still kids. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jude, Bellingham, Jude Bellingham's on the rise now, isn't he? And already yeah. he's been talked about like he's been doing this all his life, which, yes, he has, but all his life he's only amounts to 18 years, of which... Exactly. Six months crazy, of it as, a, as a, officially as an adult. I, I love the way that then the focus of what we watch it is that kind of rise and fall and rise and fall of him through the archive, as opposed to a bunch of con- contemporaneous sort of talking heads. Telling, I mean, there are talking heads, but we don't see them because they talk over yeah, the yeah, footage, which yeah. I think is a really yeah. a clever artistic move. So w- how much of that was always the plan and how, and how much of, how much of that came at, came about because that was the best way to tell the story? Oh, it was always the plan. Okay. And um, Sam uh, Collins always wanted to do it that way. Um, there's there's a bookend shot that we have, which is contemporary, you know, today yeah, yeah, yeah. of of what Paul looks like, of him, you know, where, how he started, where he's got to. Um, but yeah, it was always the plan, and it's it's just I think it's just so it's because that, that footage is so evocative mm. to see that time to see. Um, somebody like Linda Lusardi, who was incredibly famous at the time. Uh, she'd been a page three girl and model, and um, and she happened to become a friend of Paul's and the, you know, the purely platonic friendship. Um, but just her voice in particular for me is, is such trustworthy. But to see her as she was then, hearing her now talk about that time is basically, in a way, the essence of the film. Mm. Um, so I don't think we'd have they've been certainly, it's hard to imagine the benefit of seeing her now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those things when you can, she's describing, um, she says in her own words, I think, um, believe it or not, at the time, this is at the start, very start yeah. of Paul's career, um, I was more famous than he was, yeah. which is why they became friends because nobody wanted it. And of course, you could you could film her saying that it would kind of mean nothing. She's a very, very beautiful lady of the age she is now. But actually hearing her say it, just an example, I'm giving you this, while seeing her, you know, being mobbed by the press and stuff like that and, you know, having her photo taken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. So it's just a very simple device in many ways. It's just often, um, we're doing a new one soon where we we will have talking heads and it's just because that archive doesn't exist for the things they're saying. It's, you know, it's, yeah. you'd have to be much more abstract. So in this case, it was just, as, as Sam has said many times, you know, it's how there are so many bits of footage of Paul Gascoigne yeah. <laughs> that how do you 
bit. I mean, there's over a thousand uh, clips in 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 the film. So. Is there really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, Crazy. I mean, you really. I mean, the, 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 I guess the 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 sort of thing that I take away most from the film is you took me almost physically, certainly mentally, back to a time that I remember well. Um, but it also felt like I'd gone to a foreign country at the same time. Do, do you think? I don't know. Do you think, Stuart? For me, it's like. Trying to describe this uh, in the time we were, we were. It's been five years in the making. We were on it for three and a half, and you know, trying to describe to my sons what it was like at the time. And the thing that you cannot convey is that pretty much at the end of where the film ends historically, most of the film anyway, mm. is where the internet starts. Yeah, and that's the thing. If you go back, it's right. The past is a foreign country. And you go back and you go, God, it's, uh, you know, you and I are old buggers now, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we go, it feels like yesterday, but there was no internet. It's crazy. But also I think yeah. that's testimony to us being of a generation that were allowed to be young, even when we were adults, yeah. as well, which goes back to your point about saying that Gaza was also young, but was being treated like he was the prime minister in some senses, but being expected to be like a kid when they turn the camera on him. You know, it was like he could never be himself because it was never right and it was never wrong. It was always just a story. And I think your Hugh Grant comparison before, I was thinking that I think Hugh, arguably, and I can't, he can't say this for himself, but arguably Hugh knew there was a Faustian deal going on. And I don't think he was inviting the editor of The Sun to his wedding, whereas I think that made it that your film, that's the bits that I didn't really appreciate as the backstory to what I was consuming in the media is that actually... His misses him were talking to the tabloid press as if they were friends, without appreciating ever that that was just feeding them lines, which feels like a really big portrayal at the heart of the film. Yeah, totally. I I think so. And I, but you know, you also have to say um, that all of those people, not just the people in our film, all those people who um, were involved in in that were adults who knew were capable of knowing they were doing it, which is why people like Hugh Grant probably didn't, you know? Um, and I, I just think that the big difference, I, I keep sort of crapping on about the internet, but I do think it is a weird difference in that there's almost a way you could describe or look at it as once you're in it, because you're famous for something you want to do, there's only one way to control the narrative, the public narrative, which they had control of because they would write about it, was to engage with it to a certain extent or not at all. And so you have the question, therefore, of any given moment, is this opportunity or is it exploitation? And that's the thing where the balance is such a fine line. You know, it's so, uh, am I, because no doubt Paul made an awful lot of money out of the fame he had and that was partly by being in the tabloids all the time but what is when was he being uh, exploited and when was he taking an opportunity is the question the difference now is of course that the readership is smaller because twitter exists for example so marcus rashford um obviously a very um I mean, all players are public focus but because of other things he's done off the pitch he's very sort of public footballer if you like if you agree your degree um if somebody, if a newspaper says something about him on a Monday morning, maximum like 700,000 people read it, 
but he can go on Twitter seconds later and say, this isn't true, and talk directly to the millions of people who follow him. And so it must be, however difficult that is still, it must be a very different feeling to know that the control of your narrative is completely, that the access to your audience is completely in your hands. Now, does that mean they'll handle that well? (laughs) No, of course not. I'm just imagining now Gaza live streaming on a Sunday evening after the, you know, the papers have, you know, eviscerated them or something. I, yeah, I can see how that would work. But but I don't just I don't just think of the of the other the other part of the story where the, the tab the, the relationship, the close relationship with the tabloid is one thing, but but also his his unique lawyer and accountant arrangement. I think if you're gonna if you're gonna hang a hat on anybody to do with exploitation, you could hang it on them more because they've got the distance and the the stake in Paul to say we need to take Paul out of the limelight. We need to, you know, because they they had the well, power and the influence potentially. I don't know that for sure, obviously, but look, no, looking at what uh, I can see in the film and understanding, they're the ones getting him to sign the contracts for everything. And they say, you know, he didn't do all the public events and all that kind of stuff. You kind of go, where were you when he was having such a close relationship? But you get the sense of their learning was also his learning, but. They were grown adults, professional, you know, lawyers and accountants. So they kind of had a peer group where they could turn around and go, this has gone wild. What do we do now? And, you know, so, whereas Paul didn't have that. And then, you know, the big, I guess the big story within, I guess, Paul's down after his big rise is, is the biography that gets written about him by someone who worked for him. And you're like, there's no wonder he, could, he couldn't think straight after that, I don't think. Yeah, I think, I mean... Um... His his accountant and, and lawyer at the time, who were sort of de facto managers, I don't know if they ever do, I can't remember if they do sort of call themselves managers, but um, they, they definitely had genuine affection for him. They mm. definitely um, tried to, 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 to do the best for him in many ways. I, we've never got, I've never personally, and this is only my personal opinion, I've never had a clear sense of what culpability they having what Paul was like and what he did and what happened to his money and all of that stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. But but I I absolutely do see and and believe from them that no one had managed this situation before. No, yeah, yeah, he'd yeah. ever no, done no, it I mean, before. I'm not attacking them for it. It's more. No, no, I know, more I know. I'm just saying, it's it's sort of fascinating. It's kind I of think the observation. Had, they had the ability to stand back, whereas he didn't. And I think that it felt like them getting swept along was as interest was as interesting to the story 
as as Paul being just the centre of what's been swept along. You yeah, know, it's sort of I think another way of sort of putting what you're exactly what you mean is that if you've got two guys who are so bright and so professional and they can't cope, who can? Yeah, <laughs> who yeah, could yeah. have these days? People expect it a bit more. They've seen that car crash sort of happen, and and they they can they do more about. It. But it's not long. But if you th- but if you think about a tabloid story not long after of the same decade of that dominate the decade in the same ubiquity, you've got Oasis by '93 who are going toe to toe with the tabloids. And you're right that that yeah. they they probably do show that kind of yin and yang of exploitation. This is good <clears> for <throat> my career. Exploitation is good for yeah. my career. Flip flop. And and yeah. you can see there's a there's a there's an exchange of value between the two, and they understand yeah. what's going up. I'm not saying they understand literally, but they understand there's a there's something that they have to do something to get something, and they're always you know. But they didn't they, they didn't get driven out of you know being a songwriter. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I think the the difference. I can't really put my finger on why, Stuart, to be honest. But like the the difference there was their sort of public anger. Mm. <laughs> sort of, it was part of their. Being it was part of the sort of stock in trade, was but they but they were in 10 Downing Street, weren't they? By 97, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly, that, that kind of icon of the 90s. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, it's really interesting that, yeah, how, how people, I mean, but you know, but I guess, I guess the big difference is that then when you know, as, as you, don't, you know, I don't get too much into the details to spoil it for someone watching it for the first time, but you get into the personal relationship problems of Paul Gascoigne in, in the documentary, and at that point, you're that cheek by jowl with. You know, pictures of men, a man in with with plastic breasts. You know, we're all laughing. <laughs> then they have to. Then you know, the, the the point of that exploitation is that then they're going to have to write about what you've been doing, yeah, with your yeah, wife, yeah. what you're doing with your life. Absolutely, becomes the good and the bad. Becomes a story you can't say. Well, hold on a minute. I know we all had a laugh for five years, but you can't now point the finger at me for five years. But that's unfortunately what seems to have happened. For better or for worse, and 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 you can see that there's that scene on I think there's that scene on the lawn when he's in his kind of suburb. I mean, it's weird to see a footballer of his level in just a suburban estate, you know. Not you know yeah. now it's gate. You know I live in late in East London. If I go out to Chigwell, it's like gated communities where football. You won't get anywhere near a footballer's house. No, um, it's crazy, especially because he was he, he wasn't an averagely paid footballer. No, at no, the time. he was he, like. He was at the top, yeah. and he still lives in yeah, but average, fairly average cars and houses. Yeah. And his argument is that of a real of of a young, as a, you know, have you played football? Like, yeah. you know, it's like as if he's on the school <laughs> railings. It's not. There's, there's, there's not an adult yeah. talking there, really. No, no, exactly. And you kind of go, yeah, you ain't going to win that. It's petulant, and yeah, yeah. Um, what did you discover about Paul Gascoigne through make through the making of this film that you didn't? didn't appreciate going into making the film? The big answer is sort of, and the truest answer is sort of boring in that you just, it is immersive, this film. Mm. And you do, you do try, you do get your head around, anyone who has any empathy is there thinking, what would it be like? This film often reminded me of the Truman Show Mm. in that, you know, he was so under scrutiny all the time, not, um, you know, partly by his own doing. And so, it was to exactly as you said to go. Wow, I remember all of this, and I had no idea that his life was like this. Mm. Um, I think the thing I didn't realize, to be honest, is that he's what a bright bloke he is. Mm. He's his. Uh, there are some very sort of candid moments on camera where he's asked questions, and his wit is just incredible. You know, he was 
you, you you look back and you remember the football and you remember him being kind of crazy, <laughs> but yeah. he's actually you just see the intelligence of him. Um, I didn't realize that he is so brilliant at other sports. Like he's a he can play he can pretty much play anything. Oh, right. he's okay. a, like he can play tennis and like he beat somebody really good at tennis. Can't remember who it was. I just Sam, but um, uh, he can play. He's got all kinds of trophies for other other sports. He's just the sort of a freak, you know, in that way. So yeah, that would be the takeout that he was. It was the potential of him mentally and and in other other sports that um, most people wouldn't know about. For a Jude Bellingham to watch this documentary, it is a true sort of warning from history about what not what not to do, as it were. I don't mean I don't mean all the personal details and stuff. I just yeah, mean yeah. in terms of your relationship with your sport. And the media that covers it, um, in many senses, um, I think the big thing there, of course, is that whatever the um, psychological help and support and financial support and everything that clubs make sure these boys do have, the other thing they majorly do, which is a big difference in the time, is that if you were uh, using alcohol as much as many of those players were at the time, yeah. the clubs would know. You don't get away with it today. These footballers just don't. Um, yeah, and your, your obviously... internet watershed becomes almost like a booze watershed. If you look at like the careers of, say, James Milner, who doesn't drink, you know, he was having his first game of football at the time. At the time, Gaza's career is ending, and he's never drunk. And it's such it's such a comparison. And, and you know, as we say in the film, we do sort of point out, but it's very well documented. You know, there's other top players of that England team drank as much if not more, more than Paul did during that time mm. <clears throat> and so you're talking about a group of young very young men with a lot of money and sadly a lot of time on their hands because they only train like once yeah, a week yeah, yeah. once a day and then have the rest of the day free they, they, it's well known as well I think that the um, concurrent with that as an issue that has persisted because they can test them for alcohol and you know they, they can tell in their performance they're fitness data but gambling is the other problem yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's harder to test for that and so it's just yeah it's a, it's a thing to monitor but yeah as you say cautionary tale for all these young players because yeah, um, you know you get the voice of Paul Merson and, and Paul Merson is just basically saying well it's not as bad it's almost like I can get away with what I'm doing because I'm not as I'm not as extreme as Gaza is and, and I can almost yeah. be under the radar here like yeah, you know, like yeah, as if yeah. that was a good thing <laughs> I mean I remember at the time you know because Brian Robson when he was at his height you know he liked to drink a two in the eighties. Yeah. not so. You basically he went from Rangers to Middlesbrough to essentially a drinking club. In in yeah, for want of a better expression. Yeah. I remember that, that. I remember that being a thing at the time. Anyway, you know, just thinking. Yeah. That. Um, and and it's it's you know very basically the evolution of sports science, isn't it? In that mm. a lot of those uh, guys would openly just have a little drink before going on the pitch. Um, I mean, yeah, when Gaza says down. he has a brand, and it's like you hear that now, and it sounds insane. <laughs> but then, have you seen? Have you seen the documentary "Believe in Miracles," the Nottingham Forest one, where <laughs> no, where Brian Clough basically was like, "Where's John Robinson? I oh, was having a cigarette. Just he's having his pre-match <laughs> cigarette." You're like, no, you know the difference now in the I'm, way the sport. I'm is. old enough to remember. I'm a big rugby fan as well. I remember the French rugby team smoking at half time. <laughs> It is like, the, the, this comes back to that point that the 90s is like a foreign country in the way that we might have thought about stuff. Yeah. And it was almost like, in a way, it, it, it's it's like, um, you know, and Paul's 
cautionary tale is almost like he's almost like a tracking that kind of decadence yeah. and complacency of how you can you can live fast and there's no consequences, but actually there are. You know, yeah, the eighties was full of people washing up on the shores of having made all these wrong decisions, but then suddenly the the football money got ridiculous. I mean, Paul obviously went to Italy for the first wave of the big money. Then not long after, the Premier League kicks in and yeah. then football money starts to mushroom. Yeah. And it becomes because the 1990s, I mean, you know, it's, uh, going back as a memory of football, you know, I was into football before 1990 and it felt you did feel, I mean, this is something I feel very strongly, you know, it felt like football was taken off you at that point from the football fan. At the point with the premiership. Well, even though, well, that's, mean. that's the conclusion to that, that taking off you, but Gaza crying, football becoming popular oh, right. with people that don't like football. I see. I see. Lab Max right. yeah. come around. Then yeah. the Premier League starts, and suddenly, like, we've always been into football. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And suddenly, yeah. it's like it's it's in, it's interesting for you know, for want of a better expression, you kind of get a middle class interest in football. Hundred percent. Yeah. Which I get then that. you know, if I, if I project even further, you know, then that becomes you can see that becomes the moral arbiter of of how Paul Gascoigne should or shouldn't behave because in a way. He's behaving like all footballers have done time immemorial in a way. Yeah. Just that the stakes yeah. were higher because the money was higher and and the publicity the publicity machine. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that Maxwell Murdoch sort of fight for the for the readership. I mean, that's interesting as an instigator. And it's just in, in you know, put Paul Gascoigne's peak five years earlier, and he doesn't get he doesn't get half the trouble he's got. Yeah. You could argue. I mean, look, that's hypothetical. Yeah, I mean, this is, without ruining the film, one of my favourite bits of the film is a, a sort of a, almost an end coda where his sister, obviously extremely close to him, knows him best, sort of as a loving family member, poses that question, what would have happened if Paul had been an average player? And it's the same as what you're asking, really, is what if none of this other stuff had happened mm. and football had stayed football, <clears throat> what would he have been like? He'd have, you know... He might have moved clubs, but he would have just been a guy who grew up as a Newcastle fan, played for Newcastle, was a hero uh, at St James's Park. But you know, there's been millions of those mm, <laughs> who go back to you know uh, have a run a business it, or it, you know. Going back to the process of making it, in terms of yeah, so you deliver a brilliant story, like I say, of a rise and fall, rise and fall of of Paul Gascoigne and like like with the closing image essentially it's a rise it's a, for me it's a rise you know he's still here for Christ's sake that's, he's a survivor yeah that's he's an a survivor thing to survive yeah. you know and there's you know the goal he scores in the ninety six Euros is just one of the greatest goals you'll ever see I mean it's yeah. the, the backdrop to it and I remember I remember being in arguments in the pub and we were talking about you know what's wrong with the dentist you know the, the tabloid press where, where you were against the tabloid press at that point. So when he does the goal and does the celebration, it was an amazing, it was an amazing moment. So that was, and obviously that's the central story. Your your where, where Gaza goes because that's the name of the film. But also what you what you deliver on in story terms is a few story arcs in terms of some of the, the voices we hear from the tabloid press and what they represent. And you close off. How how did you manage that element to? Because in a way that wouldn't have seen the most important part of it. But obviously the tabloid versus Gaza isn't is is you can't tell one without the other. And you actually, you give us, you give us a real kind of other warning from history, which is let's not be this vindictive again. And this intrusive. I mean, I think MI5 is used as an, as a kind of descriptor of what they would do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it is a, um, look, we all, we all love, we're all obsessed by fame. Mm. We are relentlessly 
obsessed with finding out more and more about famous people, celebrities, and seeing their their dirty laundry, as it were. And that was the start of um, uh, of that sort of taking that power to to be able to do that too far into the realms of uh, you know going through people's dustbins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> so they would literally use private investigators to to in- follow people to get more stories. Um, and so what we did uh, do was show how certain members of the of the press sort of had their careers made by uh, yeah. these stories. They, they, they rose to the top of their profession, having had success in so doing. Piers Morgan, obviously, being, being one who, it's crazy to see now, during the making of this, I'm not sure if he's done it recently, but during the making of this, Gaza went on Piers Morgan's show again and if you see this film you'd sort of think oh there's there must be sort of deep animosity but it does show the intertwining of the the relationship between the 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 hunter and the hunted in this case of of those stories so um yeah it was always it was always a challenge to weave the two stories um i've done i've done i made a film about joe calzaghi and that that they have these challenges that are um you're, you're making an entertainment in itself you know, it's got a, these things tend to have a three act structure, and so your stories like telling a joke or telling any fairy tale, or whatever, like you know, back to cavemen's mm. days and Greek theatre, etc. You stories have a shape of their own, absolutely. But when you start making a documentary, sometimes the person's life doesn't fit the natural storytelling, and those are the challenges. And you're right that weaving those two. Uh, the, the two storylines of Paul's life, you know, his, his football life, his personal life, and the, uh, the tabloid um, uh, exploitation of his life or covering of his life um, were the things to weave through. And of course, um, them having moments that coincide with each other is often where the magic of story comes from because they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and other times it's sort of less easy to sort of make it a good viewing experience. When I was making the, the, the Kalzagi film, the difficulty was that it's like a train track. He, he fights, he trains, he fights, he trains, he fights, he trains, he fights, he trains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he fought loads of people. He fought many more people at the beginning of his career where nobody really cared. He wasn't making much money, et cetera, et cetera. And his big four fights came in the last couple of years of his of his fighting career and so that if you can imagine i'm just saying that that doesn't lend itself to a good three-act structure yeah, yeah, it's yeah. sort of warped and so the challenge is finding a, a style of story and all these things that you're sticking to and in the calzaghi's case it was adding a genre to a documentary so for, for me it was thinking oh my god this is a heist movie <laughs> this is like this is the gang is set up Joe and his dad, who was, you know, crazy, um, crazy guy, really amazing guy, um, but had never boxed and never coached boxing. And this kid who was a bit small, had been bullied at school, uh, but was just a prodigy. Hmm. They came together as they were father and son, but they became fighter and trainer. In putting together a heist gang, they're the most unlikely guys <laughs> in the world. And they go into the bank, which is the world of boxing, which is dirty and you know, full of money and whatever. And can they get out of it with the money? And you know, if you watch the movie, they 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 do. <laughs> so that, that's an amazing metaphor. Do you have a do you have a 
do you have a metaphoric way of looking at the Gaza story then? Because I mean, I must admit, as a viewer, I'm watching it going, please, please, because because I felt like it became a, it was a Gaza story that became almost like a hacking story on the side, and I was so hoping as a viewer that you were going to going to draw those threads tight at the end, which you do brilliantly, and I think it's a I think it's testament to the film that I felt satisfied in that sense. It's not as dramatic a metaphor because there were so many elements in this one and the, the archive nature, it was different, but it, it was very much that true, that true crime uh, feeling. Mm. Um, uh, we, I would think all the time in, in being in the edit with Sam and Will Kane um, uh, and, and the editors, uh, like we're still making the who killed Gaza, which is not who killed Paul Gascoigne. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're making who killed Gaza. Gaza was a dream, like yeah, Rome. Yeah. true. Gaza He's was Truman a legend. In your, in your, in your exactly. Show. Who, who made him? Yeah. What was he? And who killed him? Because uh, again, it's very hard to do this without like, giving too many spoilers, obviously. But the Gaza was Gaza was a guy who lived to play for England. I think that's a good way to sum it. Yeah, I don't think you need to spoil it any more than that. I think that's a that's a perfect way of setting the scene really because I think that's where because you can't make him do that and all those emotions you see on screen that you kind of have forgotten about and then you're you're reintroduced to them you go if nothing else Paul Gascoigne cared like like nobody like few others have I mean lots of footballers care about the moment the game and then they go off the field and they shower and they go home and they're going what's for tea I don't think <laughs> I don't think Gazza ever did that in his life no, and he he to this day I spoke to him recently and I was I was saying to him I said something about I can't remember how it started I said something about what do you I said what do you miss that that much he said something about missing football I said what do you miss that that much and he got extremely emotional he couldn't express to me quite how much he still thinks he could play and he says I know I can't I know I can't he says but I just I want it so much I I, I can't bear it. I said, you, that's right. I said to him, do you watch football? He said, no, I can't bear it. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just well, I want to be out there. I can't, I can't. I, not, I don't watch it anymore. I can't. It upsets oh, wow, him so too sad. much that he's not playing. So sad. It's so sad. <laughs> um, but there you go. So yeah, that's that's the, it's, it's the true crime. The Who killed Gaza? Thank goodness, Paul Gascoigne to this day yeah, survived yeah. it yeah. as a man. But um, But yeah. Well, look, it's a brilliant, brilliant <clears throat> documentary. And I, I thank th- you so I much. I enjoyed the nostalgia you, you, I mean, cause it's interesting, like I say, as a person who lived through it as, as an audience member, first time round, I mean, being, being, I mean, the Mars bar, the Mars bar joke. And, and it's, <laughs> it, I hadn't realized how much I knew it. And then be Satan grieves, he coming up and I'm like, yeah. this is a foreign country. This is like, yeah. I, I, what I, I lived through this. I do remember it. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely joyous. And, you know, very, yeah ultimately very tragic and that's kind of weird but like you say like you say when you compare it to a true crime sort of story the character of Gaza is the thing that came and went obviously thankfully Paul yeah. Gascoigne is still here to, to yeah. tell the tale as it were um so let's tell let's remind people then it's going to be aired it'll be aired on television by the time they see this so you'll it, it's going to be available on iPlayer but it's going to be out on DVD when uh, I'm not exactly sure the date, I'm afraid. It's mid-May. I think it's something like the 14th of May, but it's mid-May, yeah. Okay. Well, look, it just gives me to say, 
Thank you very much for indulging this old man with uh, with his youth. Through, through <laughs> it's like gas. looking in a mirror. No, honestly, yeah. I mean, just that I was crap at football, so the, the mirror isn't that accurate. <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you, Stuart. Cheers. Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.